0: It is good to see everyone here today. We all make our trips to Walmart. About five years ago I was in a Walmart and I can't remember if it was during the holiday season or when but I remember they were really busy that day. The store was just covered up with lots of customers. And so I go up to the checkout line and, and as I'm up there I notice they had a lot of lines open but they had like five customers in every line. I mean, it was that busy. So I get looking, and lo and behold, here's one that just has a couple of buggies in there. So that's where I'm going to go. And I slide right up into that. And after standing there a while, I start realizing that the people that was in the back of these other lines are now going out the door, and I'm still about the same place I was. And I really couldn't do anything about it because now i got about three or four behind me and I'm kind of trapped in there and everything. and, And I look up ahead and I see what had happened. The lady that was up there, she'd bought a lot of glassware items and they were really meticulously, you know, wrapping them up so they wouldn't break. You know, she was being a good employee and she was wrapping it all up and putting them back in these bags and everything and just being real careful about all that. So I stood there and the next customer, she gets up there. Well, they ran out of register tape. So they had to fix that. And then the lady behind me, she says, What on earth is going on up there? And that's when I had one of those epiphany moments, that aha moment. And I turned around and I said, Ma'am, here's the problem. You you had to get in the same line with me. <laughs> she said, What do you mean by that? I said, I said, I am that guy. She goes, that guy, what guy? I said, I am that guy that always gets in the slowest line. It don't matter every time. I will find the slowest line every time I, I come to this store. And she chuckled a little bit. And I said, you know, I'm also that guy I always find the noisiest buggy. Listen to it. Thunk, 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 thunk. I, I find that one every time. Every time I go in there. Uh, I'm also that guy, if I buy a big item, and you know, and they, and they turn that beeper off, it don't work. I will go out the door, it's going to beep, and they call me back in. i got to show them the receipt anyway. I'm that guy. Well, (laughs) you know, uh, I spoke to you all Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving, and we talked about blessings despite all these little silly things. I am blessed, and I'm happy about the blessings that God has blessed me with. I I just say those things. I I, I say it jokingly a lot, and uh, uh, about halfway, (laughs) because these things do seem to happen. but, uh, But, you know, that's just part of life, isn't it? I think we all probably experience things like that. But, you know, there are people in this life, there's members of the Lord's church, individuals, that, that do deal with a lot of real serious disappointments. And, and there are some that, that deal with heartache from time to time. It seems like more than their fair share of heartaches. There are some that deal with more than their fair share, share of uh, health issues. Maybe they got some kind of chronic health issue that they constantly must deal with through life or others that might have death that's around them uh, more than, than you would think would be. And so when, when life gets like that, we might ask the question, why do these things happen? Why does God allow it to happen in the first place? And, and so I'm praying to God you know, to, to take care of some of these things. Why isn't God answering me? Why, why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't He answer quickly? Well, we need to first realize that God does, thing in His own, does things for us in His own time. He does bring blessings upon us. But the quick answer to all that is simply this. Romans eight twenty eight, where we find that the Scripture teaches us that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. We must believe that. God will take care of us if we just keep our faith and our trust in Him. As the song says, we'll understand it all by and by. It will work out for us if we'll just trust into that. Well, think about... What about Paul? Paul is the one that penned those words. And I know he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he he penned those words that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord... But let's look at Paul's life for just a little bit. You know he was Saul of Tarsus, and as I think about Saul of Tarsus, the Scripture don't tell us very much about Saul of Tarsus, but it does tell us that he was an educated man. He seemed to be very prominent among the Jewish people, and all indications was that he was one that was respected and he was loved. He was well favored by his peers. I don't see any indication that his life had had any wrong turns in it, so to speak. He was one that, he was enjoying a good life. But there was this thing called Christianity going on, and, and because he loved God, he was concerned about that. He was persecuting these Christians. But other than that, life was going along pretty good for him. But then we read the story in Acts chapter 9. On his way to Damascus, you know the story... And how he finds himself there before Ananias after the Lord told him to go into the city and there he'll be told what to do. He, he's in the city and Ananias says, you know, why tarriest thou? Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. And that's what Saul of Tarsus did. Now he becomes a Christian. He is really doing what God really wants him to do. And all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. But look at what happens starting in verse 23 of Acts 9. Scripture says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. His world got turned upside down when he obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just kind of picture, you know, I know Osama bin Laden's dead now, but let's say that that man is still alive. And he walks in here this morning. And he comes up here and tells us, he said, you know, I was looking on the internet and I saw the Fountainhead Church of Christ website. <laughs> and it was talking about the plan of salvation. And I got reading all that and I got thinking about the Bible. And, and I realized that my uh, religion is wrong and, and I want to do right. And since I found it on your website, this is the place I want to come and become a Christian. Don't you know that all of those that were with him, they're ready to kill him now? All that they, that was following him, they're ready to take his life. And then what about us as brothers and sisters in Christ? We're like, I'm not so sure about that. Let's be honest. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the way we were? You know, uh, I wonder where the bomb is. You know, what's he going to do to us? What's the trick? That's kind of what Saul was going through right here. The ones that he that used to admire him are now trying to kill him. And now the ones that He has joined, the disciples, they are afraid of him because they think He's up to something. But all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. After a while, the disciples learned to trust Him. He became that Paul, the apostle that, that went on the missionary journeys. He went to become a, a vessel to the, to the Gentiles. And, he, and as he journeyed from city to city, he brought many people to Jesus Christ why would he do that if he 's not sincere, and they come to know that he is genuinely one of them, and he was well respected. but then we read in second Corinthians chapter eleven now he 's been a Christian for a good while he 's been preaching the gospel for a good while, and it says in beginning in verse twenty four that from the Jews five times I received stripes, forty stripes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I had been in the deep in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my countrymen, own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things, what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Let me ask you, how many of you have gone through all of those things because of your Christianity? Because he chose to go out and be that vessel to the Gentiles, he had to endure all of these things that he talked about. I have no doubt that he was uh, very accurate about the times. Surely he would remember three whippings, and he knew that that's, that's what, or five times he received the, the scourgings that he remembered, and three times been beaten with rods and the time that he was stoned, and all these different perils. He just pluralized it. There was perils of different things that were going on. How many of us have been left hungry and naked because of our Christianity? The Apostle Paul had to deal with all that. But yet, on another occasion, he said, "...all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose." We stay in Second Corinthians. Go down to chapter 12 and verse 7. This is when he goes on to tell the church at Corinth that, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The scholars have some disagreement about what this thorn in the flesh was, but it's pretty well agreed it was some kind of physical infirmity that he had to deal with. It was something that, that obviously slowed him down, that, that would prevent him from doing some things he might have done further in the cause of Christ. And and, you know, he prayed three times to the Lord about this, concerning this thorn in the flesh. You know, Lord, I, I could do more, I could do better if you just remove this. And three times the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to keep that thorn in the flesh. And so whatever that was, he had to live with that also through all these other things that we just read about. He had to deal with those things, but he continued to say... That all things work together for good, to them that love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. But then we find Second Timothy chapter four is a chapter. This, this is the, the last book that Paul wrote. And chapter four is, is the last chapter that man is. Uh, the way we have numbered things is the last chapter that we have of his writings. And we find in chapter 4 that even with his Christianity, he had a companion for some period of time named Demas, but yet Demas forsook him. He also mentions to Timothy that there was a person by the name of Alexander who did evil against him, and he called him out by name. But it's also in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, where Paul said that he had fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only but also all who have been loved according to his or who have loved his appearing that's how all things work together for good He endured a whole lot during his life, but he saw the finish line coming, and he saw the prize on the other side of the finish line. He saw Jesus over there. He saw relief from all of these sufferings that he had. He knew that all the things that he had to deal with, it's going to work together for good when his time on this earth is through. And he was looking forward to that. But we can also ask this question. What about Joseph? This is the Joseph that we read about in the book of Genesis. The story starts uh, concerning him around chapter 37 of Genesis and goes all the way really through the end of the book in chapter 50. We find in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3 and 4, that that he was a 17-year-old boy. He was loved by his father. His father gave him a coat of many colors. He was also one that was able to interpret dreams. Do you have crazy dreams?" and go you wake up and you go, "What on earth was that about?" Well, people have these dreams, or he'd have the dreams, but he could tell you what the interpretation of the dream was, and his interpretations didn't go well with this older brothers, 11 of them. And because of that, and because how the father loved him and and how he had the coat of many colors, we find that his brothers hated him. So we find later on in chapter 37, the the brothers get together. They've gone off on a, a journey, so to speak. And now the brothers have plotted first to kill him. Let's kill baby brother. We don't like him. So let's just take his life. But after some discussion about it, and some of the older brothers had a, a little better, clearer head about this, they, instead they decided, they, let's just put them down in a pit. <laughs> they put them down in this pit. They take the coat off of them. And, and eventually, they, when they go back home, they show the father that, the coat and, and tell him the story of how he was killed by a wild animal. But while he was in the pit, we find that there was a group of Midianites that had come by, and they just sold him to the Midianites. And later on, these Midianites, as they're traveling toward Egypt, sell Joseph to a man by the name of Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard in Egypt. So all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. (laughs) That's what Paul said. But look what's happened to Joseph. He was a godly man. Well, we find in chapter 39 that as Joseph was a servant to Potiphar, at least he wasn't some kind of a a sweat slave. He wasn't someone that was having to get out in the heat of the day and work in the fields and and uh, or maybe build a building or something that that was strenuous and uh that would be hard on us physically. Instead, he became a trusted servant of Potiphar. Notice I say the word trusted. Potiphar trusted him with everything. He was a household servant. He was one that, that uh, was treated well by his master because his master trusted him. But as he was faithful to do all these things, apparently we find that you know Joseph was, a, was an attractive young man Least he was to Potiphar's wife. And we know that she was dishonorable. And here she comes and she's wanting to have this affair with him. He would have nothing to do with it. He flees away. So what does she do? She turns the story around and tells her husband that he is pursuing her. And Potiphar has Joseph put into a prison now. Paul says all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Well, he's in prison. And while he's there, we we read about the things that take place in this prison and the things beyond that starting in in Genesis 40 and the following chapters. And we find that while he's in his prison, there was this baker in there. And there was this butler that was in there. And they had these dreams. And you know what Joseph was able to do? He was able to interpret those dreams. And we find that those dreams came to Pass one of which is where the baker is restored back to his place in, uh, before Pharaoh to be Pharaoh's baker. And, and now he's there with Pharaoh and somewhere along the way, now Pharaoh is having these troublesome dreams. And, and he wants someone to interpret his dreams. He knows they must mean something, but he don't know what they mean, and he's concerned about this. And the baker, knowing this, he says, I can tell you who can interpret your dreams. There's this fellow in the prison named Joseph. He can do it. And so Joseph is brought up before the Pharaoh. And without going into all the details, we know that that Pharaoh had these dreams. and, And the interpretations of the dreams was this, is that the land was about to go through seven years of plenteous crops, followed by seven years of a famine. And Joseph said, that's the meaning of your dreams. That's some pretty important information, isn't it? If you are a king, if you are a leader of a nation, if you are the Pharaoh, this is very important to know. And he trusted the interpretation of Joseph's dreams. He believed it. And he acted upon it by putting Joseph second in command in all the nation to store up the food during those seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine would come, there would be enough food for everyone in Egypt and even beyond. And Joseph was able to do that. So we find that through all those years, Joseph was second in command. And indeed, all things worked together for good to them that love the Lord. But a little side note, all these things that took place took place over a span of 27 years. God didn't fix it for Joseph the next day. It took 27 years to get Joseph to that point. And so Joseph found that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Well, let's look at one other example this morning. And we ask the question, what about Job? We all know the story of Job. In Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the book starts out by telling us that there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. He was the greatest of all the people of the east. During his day and time that he was here upon this earth, he was a blessed man. He had it all. Well, we know what happens there in the chapters of uh, the verses ahead. I should say, in that first chapter, we find that uh, the devil, Satan, visits God, and he's kind of bragging about how he's really messed people up here on this earth. God says, if you consider my servant Job, and well, look at all the things you've given Job. Of course he follows you. You let me take those things away from him? <laughs> he ain't going to be this righteous, upright man. He, he's not going to be like that. So God allowed the devil to do this. And as we read through that, that chapter, we find that in one day, Here's the greatest man in the east, and in one day he has a servant to come tell him that the Sabians stole all his oxen and donkeys and killed all the other servants that were there. And that same day, uh, someone else comes and tells him that his sheep and his servants had died in a fire. And on that same day, the Chaldeans had came and stole his camels and killed all those servants that were watching them. And then we find on that same day that all ten of his children, those seven sons, those three daughters, just happened to be in the same house together and a storm came and blew that house down and they all perished in that storm. That's a lot to deal with in one day, isn't it? I don't know about you, but if I was Job... All those other things would be devastating, but when that last report come in, that would be forgotten about. My mind would be on my ten children. I lost all ten of my children. How hard that must be. So what does Job say? Chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, as we talked about blessings. Job's ones really figured out about blessings. As he said, He was born with nothing. He came out of his mother's womb. He didn't have a possession on earth. That's what God started him with. And he realized that everything he had, every one of those camels, every one of the oxen, and these ten children that he'd been blessed with, and all the servants and all the great things, God had given him every bit of that. And if God had the right to give him all that, God had the right to take it back. And that's the attitude that Job had concerning all that. Was he heartbroken? I'm sure he was, especially about his children. But he had the, the understanding that all the things that he had was blessings that was given to him from an almighty, eternal God. And if you ever read through the book of Job, you find that all these chapters that, that uh, follow is about these three so-called friends that come uh, supposedly to comfort Job. But it doesn't work out that way, does it? They were really not much comfort to him at all. They come around and, and basically what they keep telling him over and over again is this, Job, you have done something to offend God and he is very upset with you. Job said, that's not it. <laughs> well, yes, it is. And they just kept coming back with that. And uh, well, and actually I left out a little part that after that, you know, uh, he was uh, smitten with the bowls where his wife even said, curse God and die. And then, then the friends come and they start saying all these things to him. And this just goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter till you finally get into these last chapters where God intervenes and finally explains the whole matter to them. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Because we find in Job 42, beginning in verse 12, because Job understood this whole matter of how God can take away when He wants, it says that now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than His beginning. For He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Verse 15 goes on to say that in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. Job died old and full of days. Job was well blessed. Indeed, all things worked together for good because he loved the Lord. So we've asked, what about Paul? What about Joseph? What about Job? What about you? Let's ask this question, what would separate you from the love of God? What would have separated these people from the love of God? Think about the things they went through, but they continued to love God. What would separate you from the love of God? We're going to answer that question in just a moment. But let me ask another question. What would keep us from coming to the worship assembly? (laughs) Think about all this rain that's going on. Oh, I tell you, it was just so hard. Uh, We needed this rain. I'm glad we got this rain, but it was just so so heavy this morning, and storming, and it just, just wasn't good weather to get out. I wonder how many today kind of looked out the door and said, that, that's just too wet. I, I can't make it to worship service today. And I'm not talking about someone who maybe own up in years, or someone that's got a, a chronic illness or, or, or health problems that, that it would really hinder. I'm talking about someone that's able well and able, and they just look at and say, I just don't get out in that rain today. Or you know, I just stayed up too late last night. I just can't get in here this morning. <laughs> Had all those activities that went on Saturday night. What about this? What what would cause us to leave the Lord's church? You know, someone here might say something that, that just rubbed us the wrong way? Or we just got so busy with some other things in our life, we just don't have time for the church anymore, to even be a part of it. What would separate you from the love of God? Paul said that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. He said that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, but look on down at verse 35. He asked this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded... In essence, what Paul is saying here is that nothing can separate him from the love of God. And he talks about some extreme things. And in 2 Corinthians, he was talking about some extreme things that happened to him because of his Christianity. He didn't let that separate him. Joseph was mistreated by his brothers, thrown into slavery, was lied about. All kinds of bad things happened to him. But he never separated himself from the love of God. Job lost everything he had, but he would not charge God with wrong. He couldn't do that. But yet today, what do we let happen to us that would cause us to be separated from the love of God? It's kind of profound, doesn't it? We need to think about that. We need to think about how much God has done for us. And then that helps us to go... And do what we can to serve Him as faithful Christians. What would separate you from the love of God? Let us always be here to worship God. If we are able at all, we should be here to worship. Let us serve God during our daily lives. Take time to be holy. Take time to do God's will. Take time to bring others to God. Bring them to the fold. To be Come a part of the kingdom of God. And there may be someone here today, you need to be a part of that kingdom too. You need to be a, a, a part of the church. You need to be baptized into Jesus Christ to have your sins washed away, to live that life for the Lord. We're here to encourage you. We're about to sing a song that asks the question, is thy heart right with God? And you need to ask yourself, is your heart right with God? If it's not, you need to do something about it. You need to make it right this very morning because we don't know how much time we have left here in this life. If you have that need, will not you come now as we stand and sing.